Hello, and welcome back to Tectonic, a podcast that looks at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. Last week, we spoke to the French entrepreneur Frédéric Mazella about his successful ride-sharing venture, Blah Blah Car. This week, we speak to an entrepreneur who has brought coding to the masses and has just been honoured in the UK for her work in promoting digital literacy. When we started, I used to say to people, I'm going to teach you a code in a single day. And they thought I was going to teach them how to make a coat. Literally, there was no awareness of the word code. And like more people wanted to learn how to make coats than actually code. That was Catherine Parsons, whose company Decoded devised a groundbreaking method of teaching computer code to anyone in a day. She spoke recently to Madumita Merger, the FT's European technology correspondent. Hi Catherine, welcome to our studio. Hello. Lovely to have you here. So you founded and you run this amazing company called Decoded. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the story of Decoded and how it's evolved into this company that has now earned you an MBE in the new year. Congratulations. I know, I can't believe it. It genuinely is such an honour. And it's been such a, a whirlwind few years. And Decoded started in East London in what became Tech City in 2011. Actually, in 2011, it was really kind of a bit of a hobby more than a business. And it definitely came from a kind of passionate place Mm -hmm. where we wanted to solve a problem. And um, I think that problem was that we were looking at the world around us and it just felt that everything was being impacted by technology. You know, you had a few coders here and there, but nobody knew really what they did. And it felt like this dark art. It was impacting our behaviours, you know, the app economy. Every single person had an idea for, you know, an app, but couldn't find a developer to create it. But even bigger than that was this idea that it was just really impacting the world. The economy was becoming digital. And I've been really into gaming and technology and all this kind of stuff. And it was quite ashamed that I didn't actually understand the languages behind the screen. And so we kind of came up with this challenge was, could you take someone, anyone, and teach them so much about technology that they could actually code in a single day? So code in a day. And that was this kind of quite, you know, controversial promise because people are like, you can't do that. There are people who spend years of their lives, (laughs) right, learning how to code. But that's what we loved. And actually, it's really in the DNA of our business to take these like big, complex worlds and decode them and, you know, demystify them and teach them in incredibly short periods of time. And, you know, I think the clues in the name really taking away the fear and the mystery and the jargon and making it fun and friendly and accessible and incredibly hands-on, you know, rather than telling someone about something, actually getting them to do something to understand that world. And it wasn't really about turning people into programmers, but it was about people feeling just like these passive observers of this world changing around them. And that transformation moment was, did they feel like active participants and and actually get over that immediate hurdle of not knowing where to go or even how to do the basics and have that transformational moment where you're like, I've actually just created something. And in a really short amount of time, because... I couldn't go back to university to study. I studied classics, you know, I wasn't going to, I didn't have three years to study a different subject. I kind of wanted to learn right now. And we ran our first sessions in, you know, a warehouse in East London and 10 people around a kitchen table. 
Who were you bringing in to learn how to code in a day? Was it just your friends whom you dragged in? <laughs> it was a little bit of that. And definitely, you know, you never forget your first customers, I don't think, because they're the people that took a real, you know, leap of faith on you. But what always made me amazed was the kind of people you get sitting around the same table. So you would have the CEO of a technology company next to someone who worked at a creative agency, next to some mother looking to come back into the workplace but unsure whether she could get into technology, next to the CEO of a utilities company. And it was the broadest, weirdest spectrum of society that, you know, had never found themselves sitting next to each other to learn something new. And that dynamic was incredible. And it really pointed towards the future of the business, how it was going to evolve, because it was proof that every single sector of business, every single strata of society really had felt left behind by technology. None of us got taught this stuff in schools. It all changed really quickly. And we're united by our common feeling of being disconnected from a deep understanding of the technologies impacting our life. And it was a real snowball effect from there. Yeah, because I did one of them as well. And yes. I thought it was really fascinating because I'd been writing about it for a long time. But to yeah. actually build something and then have it at the end of the day, an app that does something, it's quite empowering, isn't it? Definitely. Empowerment is, is such an important word. And, you know, what does empowerment really mean for someone? What do they go and do with that? Well, you know, we only had that one product, but we spent years kind of crafting it at the beginning. But really, it could be as much as the woman who came and didn't know whether she could get a job in technology, having the confidence to actually go for a role at a technology company, to a person who has an idea for a business, actually being able to potentially prototype that idea and take it into an investor, to the CEO of a business that's being transformed by technology, beginning to get a handle on the mindsets and the skills and the tools that they're going to need as they really transform their business to become a technology business. And 2011 feels like a lifetime ago now, but I feel like never more than now have technology, education and skills and mindsets been more needed. We're living in such an age of disruption whether that be automation or the fact that there's a big culture of fear and division and technology really being at the core of that. And the fact that rather than making people feel united, it's actually dividing people, but it has this incredible potential, I think, to unleash people's creativity and actually to be for everyone, which was Tim Berners-Lee kind of vision for it. How did this quite a simple idea, let's teach someone how to make an app in a day, how did that expand into four countries and, you know, you now have customers like GE and everything, you know, how did you grow that idea? So the business expanded globally within the first year, year and a half. I think last year we taught in 65 different major cities around the world. So that could be, you know, Moscow, Sydney, Melbourne, Paris, I could go on. <laughs> And, you know, in different languages as well, but predominantly in English, but we've also done Spanish and French. And we've set up offices in New York, Sydney, Amsterdam, and we've got our base in London. And those bases really are allow us to be a 24-7 business. And we need to be able to get anywhere in the world to teach anyone in a nanosecond and be able to kind of, you know, bring the teams together. Decoded have about 70 people and there's probably another 70 people working as our kind of freelance friends. It definitely feels like a family. I've been told that changes when you get beyond 150 people and I don't want it to change because <laughs> it's a pretty cool family right now. Oh, yeah, cosy. 
I mean, how it happened was a laser focus upon the quality of our education products and almost to the exclusion of everything else. So we captured data on every single learning experience so that if you're teaching a group of people in Paris at the same time as Moscow, that quality of the learning experience is identical. And so it means that we've got these incredible net promoter scores, which means we're an entirely word of mouth grown business. So the reason that a board of a company might be learning with us in Sao Paulo is because they would have heard about us through someone who experienced one of our sessions. And also we were kind of riding a wave, a trend. The world was beginning to clock on to this zeitgeist of coding when we started, I used to say to people, I'm going to teach you a code in a single day. And they thought I was going to teach them how to make a coat. Literally, there was no awareness of the word code. And like more people wanted to learn how to make coats than actually code. <laughs> so but you began to see that this incredible global group of people passionate about this skill set from code.org to Code Academy online lessons. It was becoming a bit of a global movement. And in 2014, I definitely got involved with that group of people in the UK and campaigning to get coding mandatory on the national curriculum, which was successful in yeah. September. So primary school children will now all be taught code, won't they? Yes. And it's a really great curriculum. And I know that the challenges are much bigger than just putting it on the curriculum. But it says a lot about the UK that we went and did that and acknowledged that exposing children to technology skills at a young age, just as an option, they might have a genius for it, mm. is a really good thing to do. So tell me about how Decoded has grown, how many people have gone through it and what's been sort of the impact of it? I, mean, I suppose we're in the midst of it. And as I said to you, it just feels like the pace of the business is going faster than ever before. So bear with me if everything's changed in three months from this podcast but I'd say physically face to face we probably had over 100,000 people maybe experience the workshops that we've done and the talks and the lectures actually had a kind of face-to-face -face experience with us and we've created quite a lot of free educational products online so in 2014 and 2015 we did a lot of teacher training free teaching teachers how to teach technology skills in the classroom we taught about 500 teachers, but actually the online learning materials reached millions and very much a UK focus, UK and Ireland. And, and we partnered with some incredible media owners to create publicity around that. But actually where we are at the moment is reaching that limit of what we can deliver in terms of that face-to-face -face learning experience, which I think is just interesting in terms of the field of technology education and ed tech generally creating highly engaging, high quality learning experiences for everyone. That dream hasn't 100% been realised yet, but I think that this is the moment, these are the next few years for EdTech, which has previously been seen as maybe the less sexy area of the investment world. Number one, it's never been more needed. And number two, I think the tools and the technologies to deliver high quality education at scale in a digital environment are actually at our fingertips. So when you say edtech, you mean delivering education online rather than in a face-to-face -face setting? Yeah, you know, probably via your mobile more likely and just in a kind of on-demand sense, you know, in a way that you can learn now, in a way that's personalised to you, in a way that's really effective mm. and engaging, as opposed to I'm sure everyone has had had an experience with an online training program that has been enough to make their mind slightly glaze over or has been Drowsy. a little bit painful. And we're very much about transformative education experiences. And so I'm really excited 
I think for this year, I want us to be able to say that we've taken those technology education experiences and reached millions. So how important do you think it is for everybody across cross sections of society to actually be really good coders? And how much of this is just to demystify and take people one step towards that? What do you think are the advantages of knowing how to code? And does everybody need to know how to code? I think that code is such a catch-all word that if in doubt, I will always say yes to that, just because I want people to be given an opportunity. But actually, I think when it comes to the skills that people need to prepare themselves for. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. The future of work which everyone is debating at the moment, the fourth industrial revolution, how are we going to prepare ourselves for digital economy, automation, machine learning, artificial intelligence? What does that future begin to look like? And how can we look at the skills and mindsets that are needed, whether you're seven or whether you're 37 or whether you're 70? I do think at a young age, exposing all young people to code and problem solving and computational thinking and the instructions that are being sent to machines that are powering the world is essential. It's as much as you might teach them English or art. You know, it's something that they might have a real genius for. And so actually exposing them to that at a young age in an engaging way is really important. But I'd say for most of us, I think a basic level of literacy and confidence and lack of fear and skills is an asset. You don't necessarily need to become a data scientist. But I think that there's this kind of T-shape of skills this kind of broad level of skills that you need to have for an economy that we're going into, I think, such as adaptability, problem solving, leadership skills, communication skills, as much as an awareness of coding, an awareness and understanding of data, a kind of an awareness of cybersecurity. I think that these are all merged in that kind of broad level of skills that people need to be ready to adapt in the economy that we're in now. But then we also have a need for deep skill sets, data scientists, machine learning experts, coders. These are all things that are highly in demand from business at the moment and increasingly so as we kind of move into the future. But I don't think you should worry if you don't feel like you have a data scientist within you. There's as much a need for brilliant communicators who are digitally literate as there are for deep level data scientists. Do you have any kind of examples of people who have gone through your course, maybe like people running businesses who've taken away something from their code in a day that was unexpected and that they fed back into their business? I think for a lot of people, the unexpected is the belief that number one, you could never do it. And number two, you can never be part of that world. Or number three, that you would never find it quite as fascinating and relevant and applicable to the job that you're doing as it is. You know, code can seem very abstract, these like lines, these ones and zeros. But actually, when you begin to understand what's possible, what the right questions are to ask, these are kind of constant themes that we hear people saying, you know, 
I now know what questions to ask. I now realise the art of what's possible. And I now actually feel like I'm part of that world and that I can get hands on and do things myself. So there are lots of individual stories of people who come and then feel inspired to code and create their own businesses or even have a career change moment where they believe that they could thrive in a technology role, especially amongst women who feel very excluded sometimes from the world of technology. And over 50% of our alumni have been female. And uh, we often see that the confidence levels are so low before they come in because there are so many invisible barriers as to why they can't succeed. But actually, on an organisational level, I think it's really interesting when you look at some of the work that we're doing with large organisations like General Electric or ING in Europe. You know, these are businesses committed to innovation. And it's seeing those people kind of taking all that jargon that's in all the books that everybody's read, but actually beginning to adopt it in your day to day processes within a job. And being able to prototype landing pages, test assumptions with live consumers, actually use code to enable much faster, more accurate data-driven ways of innovating. And innovating is such a kind of fluffy word, you know, but I think it kind of says that there's an awareness that you're in a period of change and that new skills and mindsets are going to be needed to actually thrive. For example, if you're going to become a data-driven business or a software platform, How can you make sure that everyone within your business, number one, can use that platform, that your customers understand that platform, that you can sell that platform to your customers and that you can create products and services on that platform that your customers actually want and need? That's a mixture of digital skills, but also literacy and ability to talk about a totally new business model. Yeah. And we were talking recently about how Decoded is expanding beyond code, but still true to its name, trying to demystify different types of technologies. Can you tell us a bit about how Decoded has become more than just about code? Yeah, so... What are the hot themes? Like I said, when we started, we were just like, code in a day. It was that one day product. And, you know, I think there was something like 4,000 businesses from a two-man band to a board came and experienced that in the first year and a half or something and so we knew that there was a desire to apply this way that we did what we did to every aspect of the digital world which felt number one all-encompassing and important and number two completely obscure and impossible to understand there have been plenty of ones that we've created that you know just didn't really resonate or the timing wasn't quite right But we went into areas such as cybersecurity, which has been a massive growth area for us, hacking in a day, data and blockchain most recently. So where else can you hack into a bank account in two hours? Create your own smart contract for blockchain and create your own data visualization using code. Mm. And this all sounds a bit nefarious when we talk about the cybersecurity (laughs) stuff, but trust me, we're not turning anyone into anything dangerous. But we're teaching people enough that they can begin to really get under the skin and understand the technologies that we're reading about every single day in the papers. And I know that the UK is kind of looking at places where it can be the best at X, Y, Z in the world. And one of those is making the UK the best place for cybersecurity in the world and making it the safest place to do business. And I I really want us to be a part of that because I think education is a route to behaviour change. Speaking of the UK, you've got a new role, haven't you? You're on the board of the BEIS. Tell us a little bit about what that means. What will you do? What's the BEIS hoping for you to do? I've just joined the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy as a non-executive on the board. So just literally in the last few weeks. 
But I'm excited because it is about how do we build upon what's already amazing in the UK in terms of the startup community, the investment community. You know, if you're sitting at home and you want to start up a business, but you don't know where to go for help, you don't know where to go for investment, you don't know how to maybe acquire the skills to prototype a landing page for that idea. How do we make these things as easy as possible for people? Because there's going to be such a shift in the economy in the next few years with the impact of automation. It's going to be about upskilling, reskilling and allowing people to innovate and create their own businesses and have a support network whereby they can do that. And it's something I'm so passionate about because, you know, I kind of went through that journey myself and it wasn't super easy, but I consider myself much luckier than a lot of other people. And so you think about what ways could it be made easier for people to actually realise their potential because potential sits everywhere. And I think great future entrepreneurs can sit anywhere and everywhere. They're not always in the obvious places you think you might find them. How do you think we in the UK are digital skills compared to those you've seen in places that you've travelled and worked around the world? Like, how do we measure up? I think... If I'm completely honest, actually, you could pick out some countries that are incredible when it comes to technology education, whether it's kind of Estonia, a lot of the Nordics, obviously Silicon Valley is doing lots of work and innovating in this space. And, you know, there's a lot of literacy and skills within that particular environment. But actually what surprises me more is how it's quite a level playing field when it comes to the general feeling of a lack of digital skills and literacy and awareness and it does come back to the fact that the world has changed in the last five to ten years so there's unlikely to be many places where they've been preparing for that change beyond the last five years so if we think about it in that respect I actually think the UK is in an incredible place because that vote of confidence of putting coding on a national curriculum in 2014 and also, I think there's an appetite to learn in the UK. And, and we've got such an amazing heritage for education globally. I often think that another aspect of allowing us to grow globally was the fact that the UK is hugely respected when it comes to its education system. But in the same breath, I kind of say, right, we need to be creating more platforms that enable us to take that high quality education that sits within particular pockets of the UK and distribute that as widely as possible. We think a lot about AI taking everybody's jobs yes. and then all of us being completely unemployed and not having any skills to face this new future. What kind of skills are you hoping the UK's workforce will have so that we still will have jobs, even if they're different jobs, in 20, 30 years' time? It's amazing. The team have been collecting all these old documents from like the 1960s and this book that came out in the 70s, all about the rise of the robots and the machines and the fact that they're taking over our jobs and what jobs are we going to be doing in the future. And I mean, it's farcical, it's hilarious. But actually, I mean... Some of the stuff in there is pretty accurate. The timing's just totally off or they've missed completely new things like the invention of the iPhone or the jobs that have been created just absolutely ridiculous and farcical. So it's really hard to predict the future, but I think it is possible to prepare. And I think that creativity is a innately human skill set and communication and the ability to use tools in a really innovative way. But we do see it every single day in the paper that there are evidently roles that are easily replaced by machines. That is happening right now. And, you know, companies are shrinking in size and employing those technologies to thrive as a business. So I do think it's not just skills, it's also the environment that's needed. 
in order to foster a positive future economy. Networks, quality of life, we need to talk about it in human terms. Often when we talk about technology, it's so easy to abstract the human aspect of it. We're human beings. How do we want to live? How do we want to work? What are our natural skill sets as human beings? And how can we use technology to enable us to do those things better? As opposed to the conversation about being replaced by machines, which for me sometimes leads to a bit of a dead end. It forgets the fact that everyone has a business idea. I haven't met a single person who doesn't have an idea for an app or a business or something they want to do. And so for me, it's about creating the environments and the networks and the investment environment, as well as the skills that enable people to unleash their potential. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And hopefully we'll come on one of your next courses and figure out if we can hack someone's account ourselves. (laughs) Thank you. We'll be returning to the subject of digital learning in next week's Tectonic when we speak to Louis von Ahn, co-founder of Duolingo, about his pioneering app, which seeks to make language learning easy with snackable lessons. If you'd like to comment on today's show or suggest any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please email us at tectonic at ft.com. This episode of Tectonic was produced by Fiona Simon. <laughs>